Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. All right, we're here on the Midwest Cannabis Business Conference show floor for our 2021 show. It's so good to be back here after such a long time of not being able to see our NCIA members in person. So we can see you in person, but we're wearing masks here at the conference. How's your day going so far, Christine? It's going really well. Awesome. So my guest in the room right now is Christine De La Rosa from the People's Ecosystem. And you flew all the way from where? Well, I flew from Austin. Yep. Awesome. Thanks for making it all the way up here to Detroit, Michigan. Uh, The Midwest region is really kicking off. So let's talk about your company, The People's Ecosystem, and your involvement in NCIA. Um, In addition to being a member, you're also involved in one of our committees. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I have been part of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee for the last two years. And this year, I'll be chairing that committee. So I'm very, very excited about that. Woo! Yes. (laughs) What kind of focus and initiatives um, would you say are going to be first and foremost on your plate in that committee this upcoming year? Top of our agenda this year is going to be the SAFE Banking Act. Um, One of the things that we're really concerned about is the fact that um, some of the senators like Cory Booker have said they're going to like basically body block the passage of that unless social equity is first on the, uh, on, the, on the ticket. And I need to make him understand and the committee needs to make him understand as operators, safe banking for people of color is social equity. And because they don't see it that way, it's up to, I feel like it's really up to us um, as the DEIC committee to put that forefront as long as federal regulation. That makes perfect sense. The barriers to entry for these black and brown communities who have been most impacted by the war on marijuana, um, it does make sense to open up the banking to lower the barrier to entry and to give more opportunities for these folks to be part of the industry. Um, I I think when we were looking at some other legislation, like uh, the new Senate bill draft, the KOA (laughs) doesn't quite have the same ring as Safe Banking or More Act, but um, there's definitely a focus on issues like expunging records and providing a path for those folks to work in the now legal industry that they were once possibly incarcerated for, right? Yeah, that is true. Um, And really... What has been happening right now as somebody who has social equity as part of the framework of their company is that by not passing the Safe Banking Act, you're putting people of color, black and brown people, poor people in the same situation of having to go get basically payday loans but 29, 32, 40 percent interest just be able to operate on a social equity license that they want. 
So how is that at all not reharming our communities? So we can't continue to keep putting stuff in legislation that basically just repurposes the harm. So now, no, you're not getting put in jail because you're uh, in cannabis, but now you are having to take out these ridiculous loans. So for us, SAFE is like the top of our list to really get them to understand that they have to do this part. Like before even the KO uh, happens, um, this is the priority for people of color. This is a priority for operators in the cannabis industry. And this should be the priority for the communities that are supporting cannabis operators. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, NCIA's government relations team has been working on that Safe Banking Act for, you know, Congress moves at a glacial pace, as they say. Um, but it's it's great to see the continued support, the growing support, and you know sometimes things in D.C. are are a bit incremental um, rather than sweeping changes. So we uh, we go with the changes. Yeah. Speaking of changes, our industry definitely and the whole world really um, has been impacted by the COVID nineteen pandemic. Cannabis companies. Thankfully, we're, we're able to stay open in most places, except Massachusetts, um, <laughs> during the <laughs> harshest of lockdowns. And the way they were able to do that is through curbside delivery, online pre-orders, things like that. Um, so we were able to shift and we were able to create safety precautions to continue operating. Thank goodness. Um, how did the COVID-19 pandemic, I, and I know we're still in it, um, how has that impacted the people's ecosystem? Well, I think it impacted us, of course, in some cases negatively, because there was a lot of fear, especially at our dispensaries, in the beginning when we didn't really know anything, right? When we were just like finding out about this, like let's think March, April, May of last year. Um, and it had, you know, we had to spend extra money to get everything up to safety, put in you know, sneeze guards that, we, that you see at buffets. But also it was really awesome because they had to say we were essential. They had to say, this actually helps somebody. Before they were like, oh, it's recreational, it's adult use. And one of the things that we always say at the ecosystem is that all use is medical use, right? And even if it's recreational. So when they said essential, that meant even recreational was essential because people use it for different things. So I think that was one of the hardest things to do. But it was also really great because it allowed us to pivot our own company to figure out what else we could be doing in the industry. And that's how we transitioned from a dispensary to an ecosystem where we're doing product lines in Oregon, product lines in California. We're gonna be co-manufacturing in Massachusetts, Michigan, which is why I'm here, um, and Arizona, New Mexico in the next, uh, probably 2022. And we weren't, we weren't really thinking about that until we were like, wow, we need to have other streams of revenue besides just dispensaries. Wow, wow. Yeah, and, and thus the hashtag cannabis is essential was born. That <laughs> yeah. was really groundbreaking for our industry, I think. It, it really helped um, cement us as part of the American economy in a lot of ways. Um, so speaking more broadly, um, I, I mentioned some of these federal pieces of legislation that we focus on, like the MORE Act, safe banking, so on and so forth. If you could look into the future, and I, and I know our government relations team really does not like these crystal ball questions, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what are your thoughts when you look into the future about legalization, descheduling, making these incremental changes into law? Um, I think they are essential, actually. That's essential for not only for our communities, people of color, um, gay communities, LGBTQ communities, but also just for the general public. And in a crystal ball, I think that this is the year where we activate 
the small business owners where we activate individuals. Because um, I think a lot of times, like not just NCIA, but a lot of the lobbying, when they're going to lobby, I think that the senators think, well, they're lobbying for the big guys. They're lobbying for the, you know, they're thinking about the Safe Banking Act in terms of the large MSOs. I don't think they understand that it really is, uh, it's not a trickle-down effect, it's a raise-up effect. We need to make it safe to bank for people of color so they're not carrying millions of dollars in cash at their store. I mean, recently, one of our stores, uh, one of our delivery services in Oakland had a car ram into it because we, they thought we kept money there, and I don't keep money there. And so that was like, and I know not to keep money in there because you're going to ram it to my, they didn't get in, but they rammed it, right? Um, and so I think for, the, for me, with the crystal ball, if I could look into it, is that there's a saying, and I can't remember who said it, but it's a really famous person that's like, never doubt the change that can be made by a small group of people because it's literally the only thing that has ever changed anything. And that's who we're gonna be this year. It's gonna be individuals, small people, going to their legislatures one-on-one, -on -one, talking to them, explaining, not from a lobby perspective and no hate on the lobbyists because we need them, but also from an actual community that says, this has to stop. You have to stop repurposing the harm. You have to stop making us go to payday banks to get loans. You have to stop from letting the people that always are predators on small businesses, that has to stop. You have to help us. And I think we're going to get it done. I think we're going to get it done. I don't think it'll be done in 2022. I mean, I, I could be hopeful. But I think if we mobilize the army that the NCIA has and small operators alongside the larger MSOs, I think we can move the needle this year. I could be wrong. I mean, you know, I don't know that for sure. It's the crystal ball question. That's okay. I think I think a few years ago, everyone thought it would be federally legal by last year. That's so, right. So, I mean, yeah, these crystal ball questions are, are just for entertainment purposes only, right? right. <laughs> well, it's great to be here in the Midwest. How's your experience been so far here at the conference? I have to tell you, I really love Detroit. I love Michigan. I love their um, their industry here. It feels, I mean, coming from the California market and the Oregon market, it's like a breath of fresh air. No hate on California and Oregon, but I think in the Midwest, we're starting, well, with the exception of Illinois, who's still, you know, cluster, but in Michigan, you see people actually working together. You see the dispensaries are up and running in a smaller time frame. I know they're having some issues with the new, um, licenses here in Detroit, but I think they'll get through that. And I love talking to the social equity applicants. I've been training with them during, through the Detroit project. Um, so all of the social equity activists here in Detroit, I mean, sorry, applicants in Detroit, I've been doing classes and we're going to do classes tomorrow here at the NCIA. The DEIC is going to be doing that. And I just love it here. I mean, I just think that they're real excited about the industry in the way we should be excited everywhere else. And I think that that's true for all the states that aren't California because it's one of the older ones. So we're kind of jaded. So to come around saturated. this new energy, it's saturated. But to come around this new energy is really exciting. Tell me a little bit more about the uh, the workshop tomorrow. Oh, sure. So tomorrow we have 40 social equity applicants from Detroit um, who is going to be coming to this three-hour um, workshop with myself, uh, Khadijah Adams, who was the previous DEIC chair, Mike Lomoto, who works for the NCIA, and we have a great program put together. We're going to be doing like flash, like lightning rounds where they can just ask all the questions. We're going to be doing, um, like I'm going to be doing a talk where you can come and sit with me. It's like speed dating for, and in this capacity, I'll be acting as an investor for the, because I have a fund now um, outside of the, the ecosystem that invests only in BIPOC and women-led businesses. Amazing. Thank
Thank you. Um, so I'm going to be sitting as an investor, and we do speed dating. So you get three minutes. You get to sit at my table. You get to ask me all the questions about what they need for investments. And then they hit the button, and then you go to the next round of people. And then after that, we harvest all the data from the people and what they learned. And then we're going to send it out to them afterwards. And then there's a couple of really great speeches happening. I know the city of Detroit is sending a representation to answer questions for the social equity applicants. So I'm very excited about the programming tomorrow. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's good to be back. And um, as we wrap up here, as far as what you were saying earlier about, yes, the, the lobbyists do the formal lobbying, but really the constituents also need to come in and yeah. underscore the work that our lobbyists are doing as well. And I really can't wait to get back to D.C. for lobby days whenever yes. we can do that again. And it's my absolute favorite NCIA event and program even with you know we joke about the blisters on your feet and all that yep. but it really is um one of the most impactful events that's there's no expo floor um it's it's real activism in the halls of congress um so i can't wait to get back to doing that I know, I can't either. And the other thing that we're going to be doing is really encouraging people to lobby from their home because senators and House of Representatives people go home and they have to take meetings. And you can actually schedule a meeting with your representative. They have to take the meeting. Like, that's the, their job. And so, yes, absolutely going to D.C. Lobby Days is a lot of fun, but also what can we do while we're waiting for that? Let's meet them where they are. Let's go to their offices in Schenectady, in Austin, in you know Oakland, and talk to them in person right there so that they know that this isn't just something that happens when we do a Lobby Days. We're constantly working on that, and this is what we're going to be organizing this year, so I'm so excited about that. Great. So more town hall attendances yep. and, and phone calls and emails. And yeah. So yes, you're right. They, they, they want to hear from you mm -hmm. and they need to hear from you. Yeah. And I think hearing from their constituents in their offices in those cities where they re represent is also very powerful. I totally agree. Well, Christine, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes from, from your experience here at the show to sit down in the podcast studio, and I hope you have a, a great time um, visiting the booths and going to the panels and, uh, and, your, and the workshop tomorrow. Sounds fantastic. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, I'm your host, Bethany Moore, NCIA's Deputy Director of Communications, and we're sitting in the podcast studio on the expo floor of our first trade show in 18 months since the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted all of our lives. And we're still not out of the woods, but 
we're able to be here. We're able to wear masks and social distance and have hand sanitizer. And we're keeping with all the safety regulations here in Detroit and at the TCF Convention Center. And I have sitting with me Frederica Easley of the People's Ecosystem. She's a co-worker with Christine De La Rosa, who I spoke with earlier. Welcome to the podcast studio. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about uh, the People's Ecosystem as far as your role with the company and what you're up to this year. Uh, So up to a lot. Up to a lot. I am the director of strategic initiatives. And so basically, I try to make sure that the company is positioned in all ways that move us forward. Primarily, I am analyzing um, legislation, looking at rules and regulation with a lens of equity. And so trying to identify um, states that are introducing new um, exciting ideas and to follow them and see how, you know, theory to practice works out. Um, But also, you know, identifying some of those areas that are a little problematic, um, you know, may do what we what we kind of tagged as uh, repurposing harm. And it may not be intentional, right? A lot of times I don't think that people are nefarious in the words that they are, that they're putting forth. Um, But again, we know that there's a difference between what's written and then how that actually goes into practice. And so those are the things I focus on. Um, Maybe about two or three months ago, I've started um, putting out a newsletter um, as well as a weekly podcast, just highlighting all things in terms of the cannabis culture, but my take on it. So I'm reading articles. I'm, you know, I'm seeing that these new trends. I saw you had BDSA out here in the uh, in the hall, and so I love reading their reports and just, again, like I said, being blunt about it. The podcast is called "The People Are Blunt," uh, as well as the newsletter, and so um, introducing, you know, just my take on it. You know, just how I see it shaping out. Um, what I want, what I think people should look forward to and, uh, and what they should follow in terms of those stories. So, uh, just kind of doing any and everything, right. But, uh, but really, like I said, focusing on and, um, an equity lens and most recently, and I'm super excited about this. I was just, uh, accepted to the state regulation NCIA committee. Woo, 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 woo. So uh, I am excited to uh, to learn from and to work with the amazing minds on on that committee. Yeah, it's so nice to have you uh, folks from the people's ecosystem so involved in NCIA and our committees and our initiatives. So so thanks for being involved at that level as well. One of our keynote speakers this morning, we had a couple NFL football players. Mm -hmm. I sat in on that. Mm -hmm. Megatron and Rob Sims. One of them had a quote this morning about his frustration with states when they enact marijuana laws. Social equity seems to be an afterthought, um, whereas it should be part of the program from the get-go. I think Massachusetts was perhaps one of the first states that actually included some provisional social equity licenses set aside as part of the legalization. What are your thoughts around all that? Uh, I did not want to interrupt when they were on stage, but in my mind, I was clapping. Like in my spirit, I was clapping. And and absolutely, that's the case. I mean, most of of the states, um, their legalization process started with medical. 
right? And then we get into recreational, and then we start to think about social equity. Uh, and the, the issue with that is that they are already, so once again, these are you know people from communities that have been disparately impacted by the war on drugs, by policies uh, with the war on drugs. And so they're already starting out you know, at a disadvantage because you have medical being able to get its foot in the door, right, and to claim its space, and then medical also being able to first expand into recreational, okay, and then now they're being let in. Um, and before having an opportunity or before having the support that's needed in order to make sure that they can succeed. So we know that access is not enough. Okay, and that's access to capital. But we know also you need access to relationships. You need access to in intellect. Okay, because even if you come from the legacy, you know how to do things in that world. But now you're coming into this regulated world where you have to deal with all of these compliance issues and you have to play by the book, you know. And so that's a different game. And so we know that the issue that a lot of equity applicants are having is, one, the time around it, the access, um, the support. And so I totally 100% agree with him. I think the other thing um, for me that I've been seeing and is problematic in terms of um, the way we're doing social equity is it's limiting, right? So you'll have something, and they, they spoke about this in one of the other sessions this morning, uh, micro-business licenses. And so you'll have a micro-business but there will be limitations around it. So in order to receive, um, in order to receive support or in order to receive, you know, some kind of, of flexibility, you have to stay in this scope. Well, what happens when that social equity applicant or that social equity license holder wants to scale? Then they're immediately pulled out of that classification. And so once that happens, now they're looking at maybe having to pay um, all of the taxes and the fees and things that are associated. You know, now they're out of receiving that assistance. And so it's a drastic switch. And that to me is limiting. I don't want our social, ac social equity applicants to be limited. Um, and it's, you know, social economic equity, right? And so I don't want them to be economically limited just because they're receiving um, help due to social realities and norms that happen in the communities in which they grew up in. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, it seems like there's a few blind spots in, in, that, um, in that model of legislation as well. I mean, even the fact you're a social equity applicant, but you're expected to have a million, two million in, in, in equity or excuse me, in, in capital that you have access to just kind of sitting there. You know, they have these exorbitant fees, you know, and so you have people literally like mortgaging their homes, you know, they're borrowing from whoever they can, you know, friends, again, we talked about networks, so they're borrowing from like, you know, who they can. Um, these individuals may not have um, the, the time right, for the long game. So they're like, okay, I can loan you this money for a year. Well, this process takes longer than a year. You know, we're seeing in Chicago the problems with their lotteries and, and how many um, lawsuits and things are in play. And so how people have literally been in limbo, right? So they don't have all of that cash to play with. 
And so what position does that put them in? You're saying that they have to have, if they want to go for retail, they have to have a location. You know, most people are going to require them to put some money down in order to hold that location. They have to have, you know, proof of having this capital just sitting there and just waiting. Um, but then you want them to wait two and three years and things of that nature for this process. So there, there are a number of issues. And like I said, I don't believe that they are nefarious, but there are a number of issues um, that, you know, seem to not be thought of on the front end, but then people are impacted, lives are impacted, time is wasted, and then you have to come back on the back end and try and fix it. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Um, yeah, these blind spots um, certainly need to be addressed at the, at the head of these conversations as well. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that, that, that was great. Thank you. Um, and, and as we look at other issues like taxes, and I mean, goodness, like even, even with all those um, other hurdles, there, there just seems to be one hurdle after the next. What's the joke? We're regulated more heavily than plutonium, you know, like. So, so and the taxes, and not to cut you off, but just I was thinking about this because Michelle, uh, and the in the warm up is what they call it the warm up to the keynote today. She and Aaron were talking about the tax piece, and one of the things that really struck me, um, they were talking about the cannabis uh, administration opportunity act, Schumer, Schumer, Wyden, and right. Booker's um, like draft Kayola. legislation. Yeah, and so in terms of the tax piece, there's a THC potency limit or association with that, and uh, again. I, I do not think that they are trying to um, to be intentional in, with, with harm. But when you think about who the medical card holders are, just to be just to be plain, they are not BIPOC people or by and large, they're not BIPOC people because you have to think about the process in order to get a medical card. So that means that one, you have health insurance because you have to see a primary care physician. That means that you have a job that allows you to take time off. Um, maybe your job allows you to take paid time off so that you can make that appointment. And then we know historically that black people are not believed um, by medical professionals. We have, uh, you know, there's a, there are so many documents that speak to um, the historical racism um, in our healthcare system, right? And that black pain was not seen as being equal to white pain. And so when we're looking at the numbers of like, who actually has a medical card, who can benefit from this, then that's another, that's another harm, right? That's being done. So if we're limiting THC, what we're saying is that, oh, if you are privileged enough to have coverage and to be able to get a medical card, um, then you're okay. Right. And you can have the dosage and things of that nature that you need. But those who are using technical recreational cannabis, right, even though they may be trying to heal themselves from something that they are not diagnosed, you know, haven't been diagnosed with and or have but can't go the, you know, the medical card route. Well, then well, then now you're going to be at another disadvantage because now you have to buy more and then you have to worry about being outside of the bounds of the limits that you're able to have for personal consumption. So these are those things that, like I said, I don't think is being intentional. I don't think they're be intentionally trying to harm communities of color, but it winds up happening. They just didn't think this through. Yeah, the, the potency limits for THC 
you know, just don't add up to me, particularly since you can always smoke more. But like you're implying, like that means you have to buy more and there are daily limits. (laughs) And, you know, so all of these things mix together and create, you know, a perfect chaos basically that needs to be addressed. Um, So, yes, our government relations team is has provided feedback back to the Senate for that discussion draft bill. Um, in, in, and addressed issues like that as well. So hopefully we'll see some tweaks and adjustments in the right direction to that bill as it as it makes its way through um, a bill on Capitol Hill, right? Yep. <laughs> and we know what that process is like, especially for the Senate. But, you know, fingers crossed. I mean, they, they definitely, uh, I applaud the three senators for the way in which they handled this. Uh, they're very clear, very intentional of um, creating opportunities for feedback. You know, and, and, and even in labeling it a draft bill, you know, draft legislation, it was clear that they really want to hear from people and they want to have an opportunity to um, to do whatever, like tweaking and updating would be necessary. So that was really that was really awesome. Yeah. Well, things move at a glacial pace at the federal <laughs> level. But uh, you are from California. Is I that right? No. No. OK. People's ecosystem. The ecosystem is there. OK. Yeah, got are, it. So the ecosystem uh, staff, we're all over the place. So originally, I am from Buffalo, New York. Okay. Yes. Um, I currently live in Austin, Texas. Okay. Yes. Um, so not Cali, but I love Cali. I got love for Cali. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I knew the people's, uh, used to be the people's dispensary, yes. right? And now it's the people's ecosystem. Yes. It started in California, yes. correct? Yes. Perfect. In a closet. <laughs> Someone's garage, right? Literally yeah. in a closet, right? That's so funny. <laughs> Well, we will be in California in a couple of months here in December at our Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, um, our big, big show. And it's it's good to be back uh, here in Detroit for the Midwest show. So this is kind of um, getting our sea legs back a little bit after a year and a half of not hosting in-person events. So um, we're making it a priority to keep everyone feeling safe masks, hand sanitizer, social distancing, the whole nine yards. How's your experience been so far as far as being around this many people again? Yeah, you know, um, one, it is, I don't know what normal is. I don't know what that's going to be. It's gone. Right? (laughs) But it is, uh, it feels great to uh, engage in activities that we once did you know um and so we're doing a lot of elbowing you know it's a lot of air hugs it's a lot of i guess the interesting thing is the information that we offer about ourselves now you know because you 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 run into someone who you may have met virtually or emailed and things of that nature and it's like well how do i greet you i'm vaccinated are you vaccinated and you know i mean normally people would not offer that kind of like hipaa is a thing right so normally people would not offer that kind of information about their people value privacy yeah. yeah you know but it's it's amazing one to me that means that people are taking it serious right or at least those who are here are taking it serious because um you're you know being proactive and just kind of acknowledging like people's angst 
about being in the space, but I would have to say everyone is masked up. You know, there are so many stations around for like with sanitizer. Um, the rooms are not like they're spaced out so that even the seating, you know, is spaced out to make sure that people are not on top of each other and people are sitting in rows where they're leaving a seat or two, depending on how they're grouped. So um, you all you all are doing a, a really, a really great job at like kind of like kicking us off and, and reintroducing us into like these social spaces. Yeah. Well, it's good to be back and, and hopefully slowly but surely and CIA can, you know, we, we will continue these conferences and then hopefully those awesome little networking reception events we used to do across the country, the <laughs> cannabis caucuses, uh -huh, uh -huh. those are all great. So we're going to slowly but surely get back to all that. And uh, speaking of getting back, I will let you get back to the rest of your show experience. You. I hope I hope you. This is my first too. So oh, it's so <laughs> well, great. It's great to have you here. Um, so yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day and conference experience tomorrow. And thank you for taking a few minutes to sit down with me. Awesome. Thank you for having me. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.